All right, good morning. Rex, thanks so much for the kind introduction, the kind welcome. You know, I've been uh, speaking now full-time ever since I graduated from Ohio State. And I'm, I'm telling you, as a full-time speaker, it's, it's really important to have a good introduction. And that's why I appreciate it, because what I've found is that if you have a good introduction, it really sets your whole presentation off on the right foot. Whereas if you have a bad introduction, the opposite can be true. And I've found this through personal experience. Not too long ago, I spoke at a youth conference in Columbus. And youth from all over the state were there. Like, uh, like 2,000 students were there. And the guy that introduced me was really excited. He, he went up on stage and he said, hey, everybody, we have a great speaker this evening. About a year ago, the leadership team and I, we put our heads together and we decided unanimously on who we wanted to come speak tonight. And so I called the guy up. I got him on the phone. He agreed to come speak. We were all set and ready to go. But you know what? Last week he called me. And he said he couldn't make it. And so tonight we have Joel Penton. It's actually a true story. And that's why I appreciate the kind introduction. And I know that I'm pretty far north here. So, so I'm curious. Do we have some Ohio State fans in the room? We have a I see some of you got the news that this morning is still blackout weekend, so I, uh, I see some of you wearing the black, but uh, uh, they had a great game yesterday, and uh, I'm curious, you know, we are pretty far north. We don't have any Michigan fans, do we? How could you possibly cheer after yesterday? <laughs> How could you do that? Oh, man. I won't, that, that's all I'll say about yesterday. But I will say if you're a Michigan fan, I see there's a few. I, I will say if you're a Michigan fan, I'm glad you're here because this church is all about seeking the lost. And so if you're here this morning, you're in the right place. <laughs> no, but really excited to be with you this morning. Excited uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, after the sermon, after I share a little bit from the Word, um, I, I am very grateful to have the chance to tell you a little bit about our ministry, what it is I do day in and day out, traveling the country, speaking to, to students. Um, but most importantly, I'm excited to share from the Word. And so if you have a Bible, grab it and turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. If you're having trouble finding it, it's right after chapter 14. Luke chapter 15, we're going to look at a famous passage this morning, the passage of the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son or the lost son. And I know that I heard, I've heard this passage preached on so many times. I think for a while, I, when I heard it was going to be preached on, I'd kind of tune it out, thinking I've heard, I've heard it all. But uh, I really feel like in God's grace, just in the last few years, he's given me an, an all-new uh, a fresh appreciation for this passage, and so I hope you'll, you'll hang with me as we go over this familiar passage. We're going to look at verses 11 through the end of the chapter, but first look with me at verses 1 through 3. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. Now the tax collectors and sinners... We're all drawing near to hear him. Him is Jesus there. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners 
and eats with them. See, so the scene is that apparently Jesus is hanging out with the wrong crowd, the notorious sinners, and the religious people, the Pharisees, the scribes of that day, they were getting a little upset about it. They thought that Jesus shouldn't be hanging out with this crowd. And look with me at verse 3. So he told them this parable. Notice the word parable there is singular. However, if you keep reading, you'll notice that what follows are three separate stories. However, all three of these stories follow a similar pattern. The first story is about a shepherd who has 100 sheep. One sheep goes missing. He then finds the sheep and celebrates. The next is about a woman who has 10, not 100, but 10 golden coins. One goes missing. She then searches for the coin, finds the coin, and celebrates. And the final story, what we'll look at today, is about a father who has not a hundred, not ten, but two sons. Let's look at this, and we'll actually break it up into two sections. First, verses 11 through 24, and then verses 25 through the end. I will read the section and then discuss it a bit. Please keep your Bibles open because I will be directing your eyes down toward the, the text frequently. So first, verses 11 through 24, but before we even do that, let's pray and ask for God's help this morning. Lord, we need your help. We confess that without your Spirit, we cannot understand and we cannot be changed by your Word. So we rely on you this morning and ask that you would meet us here to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. I will read verses 11 through 24. I'm reading from the ESV. And he said, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And, we had, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the, his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. 
Now, hopefully it's obvious to all of us that this is not simply a story, a historical story about a man and his sons who lived a long time ago. This is a parable, right? This is a metaphor. It's about something much bigger. It's about really God, our heavenly father, and we, his created children. And one of the really cool things about what God has done in the world is, is that there's much we can learn about God simply by looking around. And one of the places we can look to learn about God is by looking at how parents and children relate with, to one another. We can learn a lot about God by seeing how children relate to parents and how parents relate to their children. And, uh, you know, this, thinking about this always reminds me of a story that a good friend of mine tells about the day his first son was born. Uh, he tells that when his son was born, he was in the hospital room, and as soon as that baby came out, the, the doctor handed him that, that brand new, naked, slimy baby boy. And, uh, and, he, and he was so excited that he, he broke out into a spontaneous prayer. And he started praying, Lord, thank you so much for this child. Lord, this is my son as I am your son, Lord, use this son of mine to teach me what it truly means to be your son. Amen. And when he said amen, that brand new baby boy pooped on his foot. It's actually pretty profound if you think about it. But, but anyway, there is really a lot we can learn. And you know, one of the things, I'm a... I'm a semi-new father because, well, I have four children, but the oldest is only six. And so I'm, I'm somewhat new at this. And, uh, and well, you know, one of the things that's very interesting I found about uh, having children, and for those of you who are parents, let me see how many parents in the room, most of us. Uh, m- maybe you'll relate to this. This very interesting thing that children have a tendency to love the gifts given to them more than the giver of the gifts. This is very fascinating to me because gifts are meant to exist within a love relationship. Gifts are meant to communicate love. A a gift rightly given is given out of love and communicates love. A gift rightly received is received in love. And in fact, the love of the receiver is enhanced toward the giver by receiving the gift. Like that's what gifts are supposed to do. They're, they're, They're to enhance a love relationship. However, this very interesting thing can happen and that the gift that is meant to communicate love and enhance love can actually become the object of love. I I saw this thing happen uh, in my own life. You know, when my son, my oldest son, Joel III, when he was about 11 months old, I was by far his greatest treasure in all the world. He wanted to be with daddy all the time. If I dropped him off in the nursery, he would cry. If I left the room, he would cry. He just loved me. And I remember one time I was speaking in Florida, drove back up, stopped at a Cracker Barrel, and got him his first gun. Not a real gun. He'll get that when he's 10. No, his his first toy gun. And I remember giving it to him, and it was beautiful because I could see that it actually did what gifts are supposed to do. I mean, it it like enhanced his love for me, you know. He already loved me more than anything in the world, but then it was almost as though his eyes were open to this whole, you know, deeper sense of reality that I not only have a wonderful father, but I have a father who gives gifts. And it was beautiful. 
But if I would have left the room, he would have dropped the toy, and he would have cried, and he would have crawled after me because I was his greatest treasure. However, the longer we went on, the older he got, I started to see things shift a, a little bit, that maybe if I left the room and he was playing with a toy, he really liked that maybe he would, he'd follow me, but he would hold on to that toy, bring it with him. And maybe sometime later, if he was playing with a toy like, and I left the room, maybe he wouldn't even notice. And from what I can tell and from what I can remember, perhaps one day it'll keep getting more and more like this, and I'll hear the words, Dad, just give me the car keys and leave me alone. You know? Because children just have this tendency to place their affections on the things given to them. And... It's so appropriate it works itself out this way in our families because the Bible tells us that one of the main problems with all of humanity is that, in fact, we have loved the gifts of our Heavenly Father more than the Father Himself. In fact, Paul tells us, and I told this to the athletes at Fields of Faith, that Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1 that we've literally exchanged the glory of the Creator for created things. We've loved and served creation, God's gifts, instead of our creator. You can see from the beginning of time, people worshiping false gods, created gods, the God of the sea, the God of the sun. You could go to India where people worship false gods, where they, within Hinduism, have more than 300 million different false gods. And in fact, we have the same issue. We, we, are, we have the propensity to worship false gods, maybe not the God of the sea or the God of the sun, but the God of the television or the God of the Buckeyes or Wolverines or whatever it is, the God of our families, the God of experiences, the God of possessions, the God of food, the God of whatever. We have a tendency to love and cherish created things as opposed to our creator, our heavenly father. And this love of God's gifts more than God himself can manifest itself in our lives in a couple different ways. The first way it can manifest itself in our lives is through overt disobedience, disobeying the father, removing the gifts of the father out of a love relationship with the father altogether. That's the love of the gifts we see manifested in the life of the younger son. Look with me at verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. Many have rightly pointed out that this is the younger son essentially saying, Dad, you know what? I know that one day you're going to die. And boy, it's too bad you haven't died yet. So why don't we just pretend like you're dead? And you could just give me the stuff that I'm going to get when you die. Removing the gifts of the Father out of relationship with the Father altogether, saying, Father, give me the stuff, but get out of my way. I want, I want your stuff, but I don't want anything to do with you. And then he took, amazingly, the Father agreed, and the Son took the stuff, and he took off. And he spent everything. It's possible that you read that and you can relate to that this morning. It's possible that though your body is here, you feel like you are very distant from God. Maybe you've said to God, God, give me 
the stuff, but, but I don't want you. You know, I, give me the life and the breath and the family and the friends and the home and the job and the things. Give me, your, give me the stuff, but I, 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 don't, I don't want anything to do with you. If you can relate to that, then it's my prayer that you would also relate to the younger son in coming to realize your own spiritual poverty and realizing the hopelessness of pursuing the gifts of the Father apart from a love relationship with the Father. And it's my prayer that like the younger son, you would turn from that. And it's the good news to tell you that this passage assures us that if you would but turn away from your rebellion, your overt disobedience against the Father, we have a Father in heaven who will welcome you with open arms. He will run to meet you and welcome you into the family of God if you would but turn away from your overt disobedience. But it's my guess that most of us don't relate that well to the younger son because where are we? We're in church this morning, right? We're, we're church people. We're Christians. So we probably don't relate very well. And fortunately for us, the story doesn't end here. You, you might think the story could end here because it's followed the same pattern, right? If you remember, 100 sheep, one lost one found celebration. Ten coins, one lost, one found celebration. Two sons, one lost, one found celebration. We could end here, right? We can't. Because, in fact, all three stories have actually just been building to this point. What we're about to read is the climax of the story. And keep in mind, this parable was spoken to the Pharisees, the religious people. Let's read it. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near the house. As he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now, be honest, you don't need to raise your hands, but can you kind of relate to the older brother? I mean, can you at least understand what he's feeling? Sympathize with him? I mean, his brother takes a huge portion of the inheritance and goes and spends it all while he's at home working, working, working. And then when his brother comes back, his dad kills the calf and throws a big party. And he gets a little upset. Can, can you understand what he's thinking? Well, I know I can. 
But for those of us who can, we need to listen very closely because this parable was written, was spoken for us. Because there's a way to love the gifts of the Father more than the Father himself that is a little more subtle than overt disobedience. In fact, it's a little more sinister because it doesn't take the gifts of the Father out of a love relationship with the Father altogether. No, instead, it uses the love of the Father to get more gifts. And it's called manipulative obedience. Leveraging the love of the Father for the purpose of getting gifts. You can see this in the lives of obedient children sometimes, right? Who, who basically said, hey, mom and dad, you know what? I'll do whatever you want me to do as long as I can get my stuff. You know, you need me to mow the grass, I can mow the grass. You need me to wash the car, I can wash the car. You need me to clean my room, that's fine. You need me to get A's and B's, that's fine. Just tell me what I have to do. Just give me the list so I can get my stuff. This is a sin of religious people, of church people sometimes, who essentially say to God, God, you know what? Just give me the list. You need me to go to church? I can do that. That's easy. That's one day a week. You need me to give some money? How much? 10%? That's fine. Need me to pray some prayers? I I can do that. Need me to serve a little bit? I can do that. Need me to stop swearing? Okay, I can do it. Just tell me what I need to do so I can get my stuff, though, so I can get my good family, because that's what I really want. Or so I can get the good job, or so I can get the good house, or so I can get this or that, or or really so I can get to heaven. Because heaven sounds like it's filled with great stuff, and it sounds like a lot of fun. And so just tell me what I need to do so I can get my stuff. This is the sin of the older brother. Look with me at verse 29. But he answered his father, look, These many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. What's motivating the brother here? Is it love for his father? No. It's the young goat. He wants a party. Why? So he can celebrate with the family? No. With his friends. Just think of the arrogance this takes to suggest that his father owes him something. Listen, all of us have parents, and we need to understand that if our parents brought us into the world, fed us, bathed us, educated us, raised us, provided for us, get this, we will never pay our parents back. That's not how it works. Our parents will never be in our debt. Our parents will never owe us a thing. That's how arrogant. And think of how foolish this is that the the son doesn't understand the way a relationship with a father and son even works. He thinks that he's earned his father's love. That's so silly. Rex, do you love your children? Tell me. What do your children need to do to earn your love? Nothing. That's the right answer. That's not how it works. You don't earn a father's love. I do this thing with my kids. The 
we call it the Penton Catechism. We have a long list of questions that we ask our kids and we teach them the answers because there's truths we want them to know deeply. And the first four questions are always the same. I'll say, hey, Joel, who loves you the most? And he'll say, Jesus. And I'll say, Judah, who loves you next? And he'll say, Daddy and Mommy. And I say, Luther, why do Daddy and Mommy love you? And he'll say, because I'm your son. And I can't ask Vera because she's 10 months old. So then I go back to Joel. And I say, and how long will you be our son? And he says, I will always be your son. You don't earn the love of a father. That's not how it works. But this son is arrogant. He's foolish. His father tries to speak with him. He says, son, don't you get it? You're always with me. You're always with me. It's not about the stuff. You're with me. Why would you be jealous of your brother? He just spent years in agony apart from me. You're always with me. Why, why are you even talking about the stuff? All that I have is yours. Just by nature of being my son, you have everything. You, you don't earn it. How are you not getting this? But the son doesn't want to be treated as a son. He wants to be treated as a worker. He wants to receive what he's earned. He's removed himself from the family. He won't, he's in the field. He won't go in to be with the family. When the younger son talks to his father, he says, Father. When the father talks to his son, he says, Son. But this older son, when he talks to his father, he says, You. All these years I've served you. And when he talks about his brother, he doesn't say my brother. He says, when this son of yours came back, he has removed himself from the family. He wants what he deserves. And if we demand from God what we deserve, that's what he'll give us if we refuse to receive his love as a father. And so I'll ask you this morning, why are you here this morning? Are you here because of your love for your father? You just got to be with your father's children? Or are you here because you think for some reason that coming to a church service on a Sunday morning will put God in your debt? That's very silly. Do you give of your money? Why? Because you got to be a part of what your family's doing, and you just want to be a part of it. Or because you think then you'll earn something? Do you serve? Do you pray? Why? Is it because of your, your father? Or is it because you think you'll get some stuff back? If we relate to the older son, we need to become like the younger son. We need to turn back to the father and go and be part of the family. Jesus leaves the parable open-ended, and it's left open-ended to us. Will we receive the Father's love? Will we be welcomed into the family and receive it as his children? That's my invitation to you, to receive God's love. He comes out to us, just as the Father comes out to the younger son and the older son. God comes to us. Jesus came to us to die and rise again. Will we receive his love? That's my 
invitations. Let me, let me pray, and very quickly, uh, I'm going to invite Eddie, who is interning with our ministry, to join me up here, and we're going to take just a couple minutes to tell you a little bit about our ministry. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, and uh, thank you for your love, the love of a father. We pray, Lord, that we would receive it as children should, that we would not love your gifts before you. We would simply receive your love and glory and your invitation to be a part of your family. I pray for these, your people. In Jesus' name, amen.